0: Felix the Cat, Garfield, Tom from Tom and Jerry, The Cat in the Hat, Cheshire Cat, Catwoman from Batman, Sue Catwoman from the Sex Pistols, famous punk, The Cats from Cats, Mog, as in Megan Mog, Dog, well, half a cat, and Cat from Red Dwarf, and Catford in London, and Catmandu, and Antman Cat, Catman Ant, Catcher in the Rye, Okay, cat. <laughs> There's some pretty famous cats out there. But which cat is the most famous and the coolest cat in the world? Which cat is worth the most? Well, it's none other than the cat from Japan. It's Hello Kitty. <coughs> According to a recent Forbes article, I can't believe this, Hello Kitty is worth around $84.5 billion. $84.5 billion. Just let that soak in for a moment is that soaked in good but how did a cat who doesn't smile or talk or even have a mouth uh, and does nothing uh, uh, as far as i can see other than just sit there how does it become such a phenomenon? i don't understand and what's more who invented hello kitty and why did they invent hello kitty what's going on (laughs) hello welcome to patented it's a podcast about the history of inventions from History Hit, with me, your host, Dallas Campbell. Thank you very much for your company, as ever. Today is our final episode of our mini-series all about Japanese inventions. Matt Alt, who is the author of a terrific book called Pure Inventions, joins me once again to talk about the invention of Hello Kitty and what Hello Kitty means, what Hello Kitty tells us about Japan. It's much more than an invention. She is a multi-billion dollar phenomenon. And if you haven't already, I do recommend you have a look at Matt's book, Pure Invention. It's absolutely terrific. It's a lovely history about Japanese invention and Japanese culture. We've done two episodes already. We did one on the invention of the Sony Walkman and one on the invention of karaoke, Uh, so you might want to go and listen to those ones too. This is such an interesting episode, not just about Hello Kitty, as I say, but a detailed insight into why she's drawn the way that she's drawn, and how one Japanese man capitalised on this whole idea of cute. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you might even call this episode The Cat's meow. Welcome back to the show, Matt. It's lovely to lovely to have you. It with is us again. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Third time's a charm, as it were. We've done we've done Walkmans, we've done karaoke, and now we're doing Hello Kitty. See, Walkmans and karaoke, I can do because that's my era. But Hello Kitty, she's kind of a girl's thing, huh? Well, I get it. It's interesting, actually, in your book, because to the untrained eye, it's just a, a simple drawing of kind of a cat, but It's a portal into more stuff, into Matt's thesis. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hello Kitty is really interesting
1: because, yeah, she's just a doodle. But she represents the first attempt, I think, of really anybody anywhere on the planet to bottle an emotion. An emotion that contains kind of feelings of nurturing and cuteness and adorability. And the Japanese have a word for that. It's kawaii.
0: Kawaii. Kawaii. I was going to ask you that because what is it about Japan, sort of culturally, in certain aspects, that idea of really sort of childish, cutesy, like the kind of those sort of manga cartoons, you know, girls with massive eyes sure. and everything designed to be kind of cutie. And is that that? What was the word again?
1: Kawaii. It rhymes with Hawaii kawaii. Is that what that is as well? Yeah, I mean, kawaii is a Japanese word. Uh, It's existed in the Japanese lexicon for a very long time, but it didn't acquire its modern meaning, which is a, a kind of a form of fashion, until the 1910s. Actually, 1914 is when a shop opened up in downtown Tokyo that first started advertising all of its stuff for girls as kawaii, and it all sort of started from there. Originally, it meant just adorable. But now it it has a much more nuanced and complex meaning, of which Hello
0: Kitty is part of, but by no means all of. Okay, well, we'll come back to that in a moment. Just park that thought. So, Hello Kitty. For those who everyone knows Hello Kitty. Oh, everyone. But just in case, just in case this is being, in case I don't know, ten million years time, someone finds (laughs) this podcast in like a box on Mars or something, or I don't know, picks it up. Explain what Hello Kitty is. Hello Kitty is a, is a drawing of a little kitty cat girl.
1: And I choose these words carefully because most people mistake her for a cat. But Hello Kitty, in, in the world that her company who made her Sanrio describes it, she's actually a little girl. Who just happens really? to look like a cat? Yes, she's not a cat. Don't call her a cat to Sanrio. So this is—I oh, know this is. This is. We're getting into. <laughs> but she's got
0: whiskers. I don't care. You can you can say, "Oh, it's not a cat" as much as you want. It's a cat. It's got whiskers and ears that stick up. I told
1: you would be sailing into into complicated okay. waters. But Hello Kitty is the creation of a company called Sanrio. And Sanrio right. is a Japanese and started life as a Japanese stationery company. They made all sorts and continued to make all sorts of things that school children need to make it through their days. Notebooks, pencils, pens, uh, little coin purses, you know, the sorts of things that appeal to little kids and little girls in particular. And Sanrio's hmm. roots go back to the 60s. But Sanrio is we know it really started to emerge in the 1970s when the president, who was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Tsuji, decided that he was sick of paying royalties to other companies to use their characters and put them on his products. And he decided he was gonna hire his own design team and start churning out his own characters. And this is where this whole universe started. Hello Kitty wasn't the first, but she's arguably the best.
0: That's interesting. So, the, what kind of other characters, like Disney characters, was that? Was that the idea? Actually, not Disney. Not Disney. Okay. What other characters? Peanuts, Snoopy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, it looks a bit like Peanuts. It's got that. It looks a bit like Woodstock. Yes. Or or that. Just the way the kind of bo- the body of Hello Kitty is profiled. Well, if you want to
1: get right down to it, and Sanrio yeah. would not like this description at all, but I think it's pretty accurate. Hello Kitty is nothing more or less than a Snoopy killer. Uh, the Mr. Tsuji saw that, hopefully not literally. Um, they can both coexist. I like to think Tsuji yeah. and and Sanrio were the importers of record for all sorts of peanuts merchandise, and the Snoopy stuff just went off the shelves. It flew off the shelves. It was incredibly popular in the early nineteen seventies, and so Tsuji told his design team that he had handpicked. He would pulled together uh, a bunch of young ladies from design schools in Tokyo and said, "You know, a dog sold." Make me a cat next and look what happened.
0: Okay, here's the thing. The the Charlie Brown Snoopy universe is is a thing of great philosophy and yes. beauty and yes. story. And yes. it's incredible. It's incredible. Yes. It deserves its place as a, as a as a cultural high. Oh as absolutely. Human, I mean human culture. But Hello Kitty doesn't do anything. No. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a picture, a line drawing.
1: You can argue perhaps this is the genius of Hello Kitty. You know, I don't know how familiar you are with peanuts, but when Peanuts Very, started
0: I'm, I'm I'm deep into Peanuts. Oh I love Peanuts, I'm, peanuts I'm too. At, me too. I'm, I'm obsessed by peanuts. I'm
1: a big so. fan of the of the fifties mm. and sixties and when mm. that comic strip really Vibrated with with sort yeah. of young people's alienation, sense of alienation from totally. the world, and like totally. Charlie Brown the... is a very tragic character. He's always being abused, right?
0: Oh my god, it's 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 amazing. But also, it's the count. It, certainly, when you watch the TV show, the old TV show in the seventies and the sixties, mm-hmm. the Vince Geraldo jazz soundtrack that mm-hmm. accompanied Charlie Brown, it's it's just unbelievable. Because as you say, it's this kind of it's this rather kind of Samuel Beckett esque. Oh, absolutely. Universe. Absolutely, so with a jazz soundtrack.
1: No, no. I mean, Peanuts is really key to this because when you look at it, Charles Schultz started this comic strip to obviously exercise some of his own demons, uh, maybe from <laughs> his own childhood. And some of those early strips are pretty raw. But by the time we oh, yeah. got to the late '60s, uh, and in those and in those early strips, Snoopy's a dog. He's he's on all fours. He, he looks like a beagle. Um, but by the time I started consuming peanuts in the in the early 70s, Snoopy had already kind of evolved for lack of a better word yeah. into a mascot yeah. character. He walked on two legs, he was dancing. he's very kind of bulbous.
0: The Apollo astronauts took Snoopy to the moon. I mean, it was massive. Yeah.
1: Absolutely massive. And Snoopy is the kind of defining cute character, I think of American. Mid-century uh, modern uh, designer, but
0: it's not—it's not cute. Like Hello Kitty is just kind of cutesy. Snoopy was never cutesy. Snoopy had a wit. He had a a sense of humor. He had all those like, a kind of darkness, as you say. He was a complex character. Snoopy. Put though.
1: all of this aside for a moment and think—think think as think not as a consumer of of the comic strip or the creator of the comic strip. Think as a licensor. When you are licensing peanut stuff, what do you do? You put the characters on bags, you put them on shirts, you put them on notebooks, right? And some sell more than others. So if you're a, for lack of a better word, bean counter, looking at how many of which characters sell and Snoopy sells more than the rest, suddenly you're like, hey, why can't I have a Snoopy? And that's really where Hello Kitty started.
0: Just give us the dates then. So when did, so Hello Kitty... What was the the name of the company? Sanrio. Sanrio. Do we have an artist who actually drew it? We
1: do have an artist. What year was that? Hello Kitty (laughs) was created in 1974 by a young woman by the name of Yuko Shimizu. And she was just a a graduate of a local Tokyo art university. And she'd been hired by Sanrio to draw characters, characters of all kinds. And yeah. one of the ones she drew was Hello Kitty. And in fact, it, it was shelved for a year. It didn't actually come out on a product for quite some time after she drew it. I don't think anybody at Sanrio knew what they had on their hands until they started releasing <laughs> products with Hello Kitty on it. And they started selling a like wildfire.
0: So just hold the Hello Kitty up to the camera just so we can have a look at it again. Just and, and You want to so- see
1: what you're asking me to show my Hello Kitty purse? Look at this. So this is a replica. Replica, of the very first Hello Kitty product. It's
0: a pity purse, a little purse it's called. Yes, it? the, purse. the petite purse. It, it is quite Snoopy-esque in, in the way that Snoopy was always, the body of Snoopy was always in profile like that. But the cat's looking at us, big head, big eyes, no mouth. When you look at these features, you look at an oversized head, you look at
1: kind of bulbous proportions. She doesn't look like she's particularly adroit or agile. She looks like she needs to be picked up and held. What do you associate these characteristics with? You associate it's them... Baby. It's a, a baby. A baby, exactly. Yes, and exactly. And I think the real power of kawaii design is that it manages to translate the kind of neural pathways that every human being has that makes them want to take care of babies and translates mm. it into a product that stimulates those feelings at a kind of remove. That's the power mm. of kawaii. And
0: that's what Sanrio tapped into. And so the the... the... You say it was sort of shelved for a year. Like, when did they realize, wow, we've got something that's equally Snoopy? Well, it's
1: interesting you ask that. So they released this purse in 1975, okay? Yeah. And this was just one of five variations. There were all sorts of other characters that they released, and this was just the first. And after they released those, they realized that only one of the variations was selling, the one with the kitty cat on it. And at the time, this is a replica. There's actually only one, believe it or not, of the original from 1975 in existence. And the replica... Wait, they, there's only one? There's only one. It's in a I vault. Want it. It's in a vault at Sanrio. Can
0: you go and see it?
1: Well, I like to imagine that it's protected by, like, lasers and stuff, and you have to, like, lower somebody. Like, you know, like Tom Cruise oh in the first...
0: Oh my god. Well, that's, that's it. We should... There is a total movie there. Oh,
1: totally. I tried to see it when I was writing the book. I was in discussions with Sanrio. Unfortunately, they fell apart, but I came this close to getting in to the vault and seeing the original Hello Kitty product. But fortunately for me, they reissued it so we can kind of see it uh,
0: secondhand. I think that's much more interesting than Hello Kitty, just the <laughs> fact that there's, there's one of those petite purses. Uh, well, presumably the, the original drawings must exist. Well, I'm sure I mean, the original does,
1: drawings does, exist. And you know, but what is Hello Kitty? She, Hello Kitty is nothing without her merchandise, is she? No. To me, it's amazing that this character launched a literal empire and nobody thought to keep one of the originals. The, the, the one they have was actually, they had to put out a kind of call to their fans in the late 80s, early 90s. And after all of the requests, only one turned up. So this kind of seminal moment in global pop culture Almost was lost forever. Uh, It's like the Mona Lisa. It is like the Mona Lisa. They need
0: to kind of have it on display, but with kind of armed guards. (laughs)
1: Can you imagine what this is worth to Hello Kitty collectors? I mean, it's something you'd see at like Sotheby's auction house, you know, going once, going twice, $10 million, 20, you know.
0: I'm Tristan Hughes, host of The Ancients from History Hit, where twice a week, every week, we delve into our ancient past. I'm joined by leading experts, academics and authors who share incredible stories from our distant history and shine a light on some of antiquity's great questions. Was the Oracle of Delphi really able to see into the future? The Oracle certainly operated, certainly gave many thousands his prophecies. And they were taken seriously in most cases. What can be discovered from lost civilizations?
1: There was a lot of volcanic activity. And in one of these sites called Cuicoco actually got covered with volcanic flows. And the early archaeologists, they used dynamite, you know, to get at this archaeology.
0: And was King Arthur actually real? Ambrosius is far less well-known. It looks as if he has got a significant impact on the creation of the Arthur story itself. You can expect all of this and more from the Ancients on History hit wherever you get your podcasts. more questions it's just about the design itself so you've made the point about the big head small body kind of big eyes it's that baby things so yes you know, so it it stimulates baby things I
1: don't know what else. <laughs> we're getting into the, i told <laughs> you <laughs> these would be dangerous waters here you okay. go
0: okay why hello like what's the hello
1: well so when the first product came out this when this purse the original iteration of this purse came out in 1975 it didn't say hello kitty on it it just said hello like hello you know hi there
0: like no no picture of a cat or just hello it was just a picture the
1: picture a that there was this image with hello written yeah. over her head like like the character was saying hello the the they didn't okay. even come up with a name for her hello kitty was attached later on after they discovered that she was selling so well and they're like we better come up with a backstory
0: uh-oh i'm totally going on ebay i'm gonna find you
1: <laughs> anyway. well they actually it was reissued just a couple of years ago they go for like five dollars now you can own a piece of history
0: So the hello, do you think that came about as a nod to sort of West people wanting to be Western?
1: That's a really good question. And it has a semi-complicated answer, which is that as far back as the word kawaii became a fashion term in Japanese, which is to say Mm -hmm. basically the roaring teens and 20s, 1914, 15 to 1920s, it was intimately associated with the idea of Western sophistication, but not necessarily aspiring to become Western, aspiring to kind of incorporate Western themes into uh, uh, an Asian or Japanese lifestyle. So, you know, for little girls, it was a sort of dreamy sort of thing, like this faraway land that had people dressed in like different fashions than they saw around them in Japan. Um, And there was actually an aspirational sort of element to it. But It's Western, but Western is seen by the Japanese, not Western is experienced by Western people.
0: I'm trying to get to the nub of this idea of why cutesy culture is so big in Japan. Like, what was it that happened in that particular time in 1910s that that kind of led to this? Because it's not just Hello Kitty, you know. It's sort of Japanese pop culture generally, particularly in sort of animation and cartoons. So you see this.
1: when you think of pre-war Japan, you probably think of an imperialist country, invasions, bad stuff happening. But the 1910s mm. were actually a really wonderful period in Japanese history that is now known as the Taisho democracy period. It was an era where Japan had really opened up to the world. It was looking toward the West and specifically like Paris. Uh, The Ginza was rebuilt and remodeled in a kind of Parisian model, all sorts of cafes and speakeasies and sorts of things were opening up. And it was a time when it looked like a European style democracy might flourish in Japan. Unfortunately, all of those people got beaten down, thrown in a jail or killed. And that ushered in the period of imperialism that we now associate Mm. with the wartime. Mm. But almost as soon as wartime was up, this kind of fascination with things Western and sophisticated came back. I really, really think that, you know, when you're talking about Japan, people in the West tend to see it as a very rigid sort of society with like hierarchies and all sorts of things. Yeah. And this seems to undercut that.
0: In a way, you're right, because it does seem, I I don't know Japan well. I've been there a few times for work. But it does seem on one hand quite conservative Mm -hmm. in Japan. But then on the other hand, they're really into cosplay. (laughs) Another kind of like slightly kind of wild quite juvenile quite childish stuff in a way
1: the corollary to that rigidness is that there's actually like a a kind of incandescent sense of play in at work in japanese culture work hard play hard and actually some of the first observers to from the west who visited japan in the 1800s were shocked by the number of toy stores they saw in in pre-modern tokyo and not only how many toy stores there were how many adults were shopping at them too so there's always been this sense of playfulness here.
0: Was that playfulness, you think, an, an escapism from something? Was it an escapism from, the, from I don't know, the rigidity or sure. the conservative nature of, of, of Japanese culture? Well,
1: I think Japan, you know, perhaps, you know, if you do look at, at, at Japan as being a hierarchical society, as being a society where you're expected to know your place and act your part, society as a whole, I don't think a lot of people would disagree with you, but in your private time, uh, no such rules exist. And I think Japan as a nation and as a culture is really good at drawing the line between the public and the Mm. private. And the things Mm. people get up to in their their personal lives aren't necessarily scrutinized with the level that they are uh, in the West.
0: When I was in Tokyo a few years ago, we were looking to, we were, we were filming and we were looking, we were like, well, let's do, let's film some things that are really Tokyo. We did karaoke. We sure,
1: did karaoke, sure, so. sure, sure, sure.
0: The other thing we did, and I couldn't believe it existed, and now was we went to a cat cafe. Oh, yeah. Which yes. kind of links us into ha- yes. Hello Kitty. And our director, now is like, we're going to go to a cat cafe. I'm like, what the hell's a cat cafe? It's like, you go and you stroke cats.
1: Oh, there's all sorts of them in Tokyo now, yeah.
0: Does the, sort of, that sort of, oh, I want to pet cats. Is that the same thing as the kind of,
1: Cutesy. Well, I mean, everybody likes to pet a cat, you know. I like petting cats, but it's you know, yes. Tokyo is a is a like a lot of people live in small apartments here, and if you live in a small yeah. apartment, but you love cats. What are you going to do? It's tough to keep one. It's almost cruel to keep one in a small room. So cat cafes, and there's now all sorts of animal cafes. There's owl cafes. There's otter cafes. <laughs> there's even there's even a capybara cafe. You know those like That's large awesome. rodents from South America. So there's all I'll sorts of these. F- that'll take your face off. <laughs> <laughs> well, not a capybara. They're pretty laid back. I don't know about the owl cafes no. though. I don't. I, I make it a point not to hang out with creatures that have big talons. Uh, yeah,
0: or an otter yeah exactly i, I want to go to that
1: you know it, so there's this love for animals there's this love for cuteness uh that's long been a part of of japanese aesthetics you know yes and and japanese yeah. society so but hello kitty really is i think the ode to de, you know nurturing it is that sense of wanting to cuddle and it's been distilled down into this illustration that is is uh, and, and, and this amazing exercise in minimalism. I mean, how many strokes mm. does it take to draw hello Kitty? Probably like five,
0: ten, not that many. <laughs> It doesn't have a mouth. That's the other thing as well. It's mouthless. It's just two it, eyes and a nose. She, I mean, that's an, it's enough for, for that. It's really interesting, actually, how the human brain just links onto faces. And actually, all you need is two dots and a dot in the middle, and absolutely two eyes and a nose, and that, and you've got, and you've got a character.
1: Humans are it's, always it's, looking it's, for it, faces. We're designed to recognize faces. And I think one of yeah. the great things about Hello Kitty not having a mouth isn't that she's not expressive. It's that you're able to project your own feelings and emotions onto her you yes. hello kitty is a mirror for us
0: it's not a mirror for me
1: <laughs> oh yes she is look she i is. can see i can see the whiskers on she, your face
0: <laughs> she doesn't have a mouth because she speaks from the heart exactly yes. exactly she just needs Someone a cuddle man <laughs> well okay so what did when was hello kitty first drawn when 1974 oh, the first product comes out 75 okay where, does Hello Kitty still exist now? Like, do, oh, do, Hello do Kitty object?
1: absolutely exists. Hello does Kitty is mean? everywhere. Hello Kitty, Hello Kitty is the cornerstone of the Sanrio empire. I mean, Sanrio has consistently ranked at the top of licensing company lists. I mean, they are making a fortune off of Hello Kitty, and not just mm. Hello Kitty. Many other there's many other characters in the stable now. Um, there's a for instance, who has her own show on Netflix. She's a, a red panda who is a office lady by day and sings death metal karaoke by night. Um, there is Tama, which is this kind of depressive egg yolk that never seems to have the energy to get up and, and do anything. Egg yolk. An egg yolk. I don't make oh, the... Don't ask me. <laughs> I don't make these things. I oh, just chronicle them. I know them.
0: what I was going to ask you. I know what I wanted to ask you. So, Hello Kitty 74. And when I think about... K- characters in japanese video games Mm -hmm. there there's lots of kind of cutesy japanese characters in video games is is that the same kind of thing culturally is there a link do you see between
1: there's a specific word in japanese to define the style of character that hello kitty is it's it's called nitoshin which means a head that's twice as big as the body And you see this character archetype popping up all the time in Japanese culture. It exists in the West, too. I mean, Charlie Brown is a type of character like that with a big round head and a small body. But Hello Kitty was not the first character like that. She's just one of the most successful. And when video games started to become powerful enough that they could display things that looked like characters in the 1980s, the designers instinctively turned to kawaii design because, you know, they couldn't do super realistic graphics back then. Of they course. had to stylize. And what is Kawaii design? What is like Hello Kitty? She's stylization personified. So big head, little body, pixels. Mm. We combine these yeah. things together and we get like Mario, for instance.
0: Mario, well, I was gonna say Mario and, and, and well, pa- Pac-Man's just a head. Pac-Man's just a head, <laughs> Pac-Man's just a mouth, <laughs> but, it's, but it is, but
1: Pac-Man is very cute. And Pac-Man succeeded mm. because it was the one of the very first video games designed to appeal specifically to female gamers this cute button eating fruit, you know, and then getting chased by ghosts. It's not a violent game. It's not a, you know, it's a little frantic. Well. <laughs> I was going to say, so, you know, kawaii culture isn't just about stuff for little girls. It's not just about little, uh, you know, Hello Kitty. It is a sort of sensibility, uh, an aesthetic that infuses huge swaths of, of, of Japanese culture, uh, traditional mm. and popular Uh, In fact, it's a thread, I think, that, you know, if you don't pick up and study a little bit, you can't really understand Japan.
0: No, I, yeah, I studied Kabuki theater for a while, many, many years ago. Oh, wow, dude, I can't imagine you with all
1: that makeup on your face.
0: Uh, yeah, but then there's nothing cute about kabuki theater. <laughs> it's, it's always quite. It's quite Although cute that's
1: art, really, isn't. you know, so kabuki now yeah. seems like a really kind of like highly refined traditional art. But in its original incarnation in the you know 1700s, 1800s, that was the equivalent of a Hollywood movie. That was like serious pop culture.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't really think of it that. There yeah. You go. I want to. I want to just go back to your book because we, you know, we've covered Please. three sort of chunks of your book, and but I want to go to the end of your book, and I'm, I'm just curious what your kind of central thesis to all these different things that we've been sure. talking about. So we've talked about karaoke. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Walkman inventions, but then we sort of moved into animation and, and sort of popular culture what does it say about right about japan and japan's place in the world
1: well you know japan has this image of of being a country that is that is really exceptional at manufacturing all sorts of products that turn into these wild hits all over the world but one of the things that i realized when i was writing pure invention is the reason these things hit isn't because they're well made although they are it's because they answer questions that the rest of the world hasn't thought to ask yet. And so when these products arrive in our lives, it's like, where did this come from? You know, Japan has always been a couple ticks ahead of the West on the timeline of advanced developed societies. It uh, rose quickly as, a, as an economic superpower. It crashed in the 1990s as an economic superpower. Its fertility rate dropped as a nation. Uh, all sorts of things that we now associate with England, America, uh, democracies all over the Western world. Japan got there a little first, and it's why the products Mm. it makes appeal to us, because they come from a little bit in the future, if that makes sense.
0: It does. Well, actually, that future thing, it's funny when we look at kind of dystopian movies like Blade Runner, there is that sort of Japan. Yes, Japan. (laughs) uh, There is something futuristic about Japan, and it's, I don't know, there's this, uh, like, we see a strangeness. There is a well, there's, a, there's an exoticism
1: there, but I think the, the reason that things from Japan appeal to us is because although they're exotic, they're comprehensible. Uh, you know, we understand what they're for instinctively. The first time we saw a karaoke machine, we're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Pick up the mic. I'm going to say, Hey, Hey, I'm going to sing ACDC or whatever it is. You know, the first time you saw a Hello Kitty product, you knew that this needed to be cuddled. Even if that, the cuddling wasn't going to be done (laughs) by yourself. You know, the first time you saw Mario in a video game, you instinctively wanted to play him. So these things succeed because they're just different enough. They're not really that exotic. They're just different enough to trigger our sense of novelty
0: for you as a sort of japan file i mean you live in you live in tokyo what was it for you that just i mean your sort of motivation for writing this book was it just a love of japan well i've
1: always been interested in I wanted to quantify this. You know, everybody loves things from Japan. You know, I went back to the States uh, just last month, and I was shocked by the number of kids wearing anime T-shirts. That was just something you wouldn't have seen when I was a kid growing up. So there's this love... Anime,
0: that was the word I was looking for, anime, right? Anime, yes. Anime. anime. Manga,
1: anime. Well, they're kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin. You can't have anime without manga. But... what I was going to say is that, you know, there's this love for things Japan all over the world, and we all kind of sense it, but I wanted to quantify it. And the reason I chose to write Pure Invention and the reason I chose to center Pure Invention around inventions, which is to say products, is because that's the way most of us interact with Japan. We don't interact with Japan by going there. That was That's only a very recent development that crowds of people started flooding into Shibuya to eat sushi and play video games. For a very long time, the main way that, that people outside of Japan interacted with Japan was through its products. And so yeah. I realized that by telling the stories of those products, I could kind of tell the story not only of Japan,
0: but ourselves. It's a great book, Matt. Listen, thank you for coming thank on you. again for the three times. I loved it. I mean, I'm biased because I love Japan. <laughs> I love Japanese culture, but it's beautifully written. It's a really, really thank lovely you. history and it, it does have this wonderful thesis that runs throughout. So so listeners, go and buy Pure Invention. Thank like you. Adult. It's great. It's great. Um, but we'll say cheerio for now. Uh, it's been a pleasure as ever. I'm going to go and see how many strokes I can draw Hello Kitty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we should ask the listeners. You, everybody yeah. listening, please try to draw Hello Kitty. Tell us how many strokes you can do it in. I,
0: I, I actually think it's popularity as well is the fact that it is easy to draw. Oh, simplicity. So, simplicity, so, young, simplicity. so kids can just do it really easily absolutely Like Homer Simpson Homer Simpson is really yeah
1: definitely definitely she's almost she's almost zen
0: (laughs) thank you very much for coming on the show thanks for having me so there we go thanks very much for listening hope that has enlightened you hope you'll look at hello kitty in a new way uh, with new understanding with new insight and if you enjoyed the show don't forget to tell all your friends and if you know someone who loves Japanese culture and invention, make sure you send this episode to them. And if you've got an idea for an invention you'd like us to discuss or the origins of anything, really, that you'd like us to discuss, get in touch with us at patented@historyhit.com or send me your drawing of the thing you want us to discuss on my socials. And if I can decipher it, we shall stick it on the list. I'll see you next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive